James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. Let me read it and we'll get to work. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us, <coughs> that we'd be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our mind, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. All right, so let's just get right after it. <coughs> know this, my beloved brothers. Uh, that is an attention-getting phrase in, used in hopes of arresting them and saying, hey, pay attention to this, and also to communicate James's pastor's heart uh, for his people. <coughs> and as we hear it, uh, the first command that he has to offer is somewhat multifaceted. Take a look at it. It says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And that's kind of like saying, let us pray, <coughs> that there's a soft command in it, even though it may not be framed in such a way that it sounds very directive, uh, it clearly is. And I think that it is of uh, particular importance and relevance <coughs> to consider their context. Because where are they? They're in great persecution. They've been driven from their homes. Various kinds of dis difficulty. Uh, the pressure is on in many ways. And so this would have been <coughs> particularly relevant to them to hear about uh, being slow to speak and slow to wrath and quick to listen. And then he gives the explanation for why he's giving this command in the first place. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I actually like the way that the NIV renders this uh, a little bit better than the ESV on this particular verse uh, because the righteousness of God, we usually think of it as an uh, attribute of God, which of course it is, but the way he's using it here is he's talking about the type of righteousness that we as God's people manifest as God works within us. So what he's saying here is we need to be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, because if we're not, then we are walking in the way of the old man, not the new man that God is calling us and uh, recreating us to be. Because that anger of man, and we'll drill down on that in a second, <coughs> is not consistent with and does not pr produce, and the way the NIV renders this is, the righteous life that God desires. And so this gives us the opportunity to speak briefly about uh, the, the two different kinds of anger that there are in the Bible. There's righteous anger, which is what you see Jesus exhibit in the New Testament when he clears out the temple. Uh, there's the righteous anger that we see God the Father uh, exhibit time and time again throughout the Old Testament uh, against sin uh, and also through his prophets. Uh, it's the, the examples that you would see in Matthew 21, 23, Mark 11, that basically anytime there's sin or injustice, 
God rises up in anger and he deals with it in some way. Okay, that's the righteous anger that is described in the Bible. And consequently, uh, it's okay for us to get angry when we see people being taken advantage of and uh, sin just running wild uh, and, uh, you know, people being uh, cruel to animals and older people and all those kinds of things. Those things should make us righteously angry <coughs> because they make God angry. But that is not what James is talking about here. In fact, that's the opposite of what he's talking about here. He's talking about uh, what could simply just be called unrighteous or sinful anger. And let's be honest, every one of us uh, is an expert in some ways, in some areas, in displaying unrighteous anger. We just have to decide what your situation is. Uh, For some, it is uh, when you're on the interstate. Uh, That is one of the least Christian places that uh, any of us could ever be. Uh, There's something about driving that makes us all forget who we are in Christ. Uh, I can't explain it, but it's true. And I've seen it true everywhere I've ever been, and sadly, in my own life. Um, But that is for another time. But uh, you get what I'm saying here. I say that jokingly, but you understand what I'm saying, that there are these areas (coughs) where stuff just pushes our buttons, man. And as we begin to see that, what we want to do in this church, and I think in the Bible, is we don't want to just deal with the sin on the outside, We want to deal with the sin on the inside, and we don't just want to simply seek to modify our behavior, but we really want to change. We really want to grow in this area, and so though our context is not the same as James, uh, there there are many, many opportunities where we could be very benefited from exactly what he's saying, and we need to hear it. So I want to take the next few minutes here and, and do kind of like I did last week, and I'll do several times during this series to, to really kind of dig down from the tip of the iceberg, or yeah, yeah, the tip of the iceberg to the rest of the iceberg. And here's one of the things that I've learned about unrighteous anger over the years. You might want to write this down. That is that anger is seldom a primary emotion. Anger is seldom a primary emotion. Now, are there some examples where it could be? Yeah, there are. But generally speaking, when I find myself getting unrighteously angry uh, or I'm trying to help somebody in in this particular area, the the bottom of the iceberg kind of stuff are things like this, that we are hurt and therefore we lash out in anger. Let me give you an example. Not that this has ever happened to anyone here, I'm sure. But let's say you're in some kind of discussion with your better half and that person says something that you don't like, maybe it wounds you, maybe it hurts you in some way, and what are you tempted to do? You're tempted to lash back out in anger, tip of the iceberg, but really what's going on is that hit too close to home, and you were wounded, and you were injured in some way, and so that bottom of the iceberg causes that kind of tip of the iceberg behavior. This is also true for roommates, parents, uh, it can happen at work, lots of different uh, contexts, pretty much any human relationship, this can happen. Second way that this can often happen is we can feel threatened in some ways. And so anger, unrighteous anger, becomes this defense mechanism to try to defend and protect ourselves. This can definitely happen in the workplace. Uh, You're sitting around the table, everybody's got to share their idea, you worked for 
12 hours on this thing. You pour it out there thinking it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Ted sitting next to you says, that's ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. He spent 15 seconds thinking about it, but now he's an expert, of course. And so you feel threatened, and you want to punch Ted in the proverbial face, okay? Again, opportunity for unrighteous anger, but really it's about feeling threatened. Another way this can pop up, uh, we can have unrealistic or unbiblical expectations that are not being met. And I, I see this one a lot. And a lot of times how we step on this landmine is in some kind of relationship, somebody has unspoken expectations, and then you're going through your life, and you step on one of those landmines, and then suddenly now there's anger and uh, harsh words and so on and so forth because there was never any communication about expectations in the first place. Again, that's another thing that we have to watch out for. And then finally... Uh, the last one I want to speak to here, though I'm sure there are many other uh, things that would figure into this, when one of our idols is threatened, this could be insecurity, it can be control, it can be greed, it could be fear, all of those kinds of things, we can be very quick to fight to defend that idol because someone or something else is encroaching on its territory. And so I think if we want to really grow in this area... And we'll talk more about this at the end, but I want to I go ahead and get us thinking about this now, is we have to be operating on two different levels when it comes to rooting out what James is talking about here. We need to ask this question first. We need to go, okay, what is it or what series of things do I seem to get upset about? Tip of the iceberg kind of stuff. What seems to really push my buttons and make me angry? And then second, and this is what we'll drill down later, why does that seem to be the case? What's really going on here under the surface of the water that, that is fueling why I am getting so upset about this? We know the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and we know that this is a problem, but if we want to see real, true, and lasting change here, I think we need to get as specific as we can and then go as deep as we can so that we can apply the grace of God the best and most specifically that we can and that God can really bring healing and change to our hearts, not just on the outside, but on the inside as well. So put a pin in that for the moment and we'll come back and we'll hammer on it some more at the end. But I want to get to the next part here because there's a lot of overlap in how we would deal with uh, both types of things that James is talking about here. So in the next verse, he says, therefore, so he, he's linguistically here, he's said these things, these kinds of behaviors to avoid, here's why to avoid, avoid them, and now he opens the aperture a little wider, and he builds on what he says, and he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And so this is very inclusive language that he is basically using to cover any and every sin. Uh, it's very similar to what the writer of Hebrews does in Hebrews 12.1 where he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so the image there, if you want to draw a little picture, visual thinkers here, it's that of taking off dirty clothes, okay? That 
when we become Christians, there is a moment in which that happens, right? That we trade our filthy rags of uh, original sin and the sin we piled on top of it, and Jesus gives us a new clean robe of righteousness, one way to think about it. So that happens in a salvation sense. But then the rest of our lives, in a sanctification sense, is continually taking off those old dirty shirts and reminding ourselves of the clean shirt that we have in Christ. And so when he, that's what he's getting at when he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We don't want to be about any of those old things. We want to be about the new things, the new life. And he tells us how to get it. Look at it. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And when he's talking about the implanted word there, uh, I think he's talking about the scripture in all of its forms, that there is a way that we receive the word that is saving. That's, that's, That's the start button for our journey with Jesus. But then we continue to receive the word, not getting saved over and over again, of course, but in growing in our sanctification. And what's really interesting about how we grow in Christ's likeness is the dynamic is pretty similar. Because what do we do to become Christians? We turn from sin and we trust in Christ. And what is it that we do to grow as Christians? We turn from sin and we trust in Christ. And in this particular area, again, very holistic, all filthiness and rampant wickedness, we are turning away and saying, we don't want to be about this. We don't want to be about overspending and overeating and yelling at our kids and, you know, being mean to people on the interstate and, you know, not acting like a Christian at tax time. We don't want to be about those things. We want to be about further walking into what Jesus has for us, the, the, the righteousness of God that he's talking about here. And so that imagery of taking off the dirty clothes, putting on the clean clothes, really illuminates for us what James is is hoping to drive home for them and for us. So let's pause here and ask another question. Because this is purposely so broad, as we sit here and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us now through the Word being preached, what particular areas of all filthiness and rampant wickedness does the Lord want to help you with this morning? Maybe it's what we talked about in the first half, but maybe it's something totally unrelated. This covers them all. And so as we hear the word this morning, let's be receptive and open to whatever the Lord would say to us, and let's listen, and let's be changed. I mean, that's why we came here this morning, right? We came here to be changed, to fellowship with other Christians, to sing some good songs, but we came here to leave different than when we got here. So let's be open as the Spirit speaks to us. Now, I want to get real practical about kind of what we talked about on the front end, and then again, some of this applies in in the second part here too. But let's go back and let's think uh, specifically about quickness to hear, slowness to speak, and slowness to anger. And I think if, if you want to think about where this all starts on these particular things, it's one thing. It's humility. Humility. And here's why I say that. Because if you are quick to speak, but not quick to hear from somebody else, 
my guess is that a few times out of 10, it's because you think what you have to say is the most important thing, and it has to be said, and if you don't say it, well, nobody's going to say it. Trust me, if anybody understands that, boy, I do. And that is the natural dynamic of our flesh, that we got to get our opinion out there with both barrels immediately. And if you look at the culture, that's what the culture is. I mean, America right now, to speak in metaphor, is an angry Facebook rant in all caps, typed not with fingers, but with fists on the keyboard, okay? That's what America is right now. And so it seems that that, 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 that quickness to hear is, who would want to do that? Well, Christians, that's who should want to do that, because that's what the Word is saying. And the reason that takes humility is because it, it speaks to a trust in a couple of things. Number one, in the sovereignty of God, and number two, that the person who's speaking even if, I'm mean, now there's some exceptions of this, and sometimes people, they, they do have to be cut off because they're saying things that are unhelpful and abusive and so on. But let's not make the exception the rule. What I'm talking about here is generally speaking, when we can let someone else speak, we are honoring them as fellow image bearers of God. It doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with what they're saying. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are endorsing what they're saying. But I have seen that so many times in, in personal uh, conversations, particularly with unbelievers, where the fact that I just kind of heard them out and listened to them made space for me to then come behind and speak what the Bible had to say on a particular issue. Now, again, are there instances where that doesn't pan out? Of course. But, but the person on the other end of, of me trying to be quick to hear, it was almost like they couldn't believe it but it made space to be able to actually speak the word in that situation and provided a little bit of evangelistic seed-sowing opportunity. So this principle has real implications in certain situations like that for evangelism. But let's also think about it in the interpersonal situation. Let's think about it. In your situation, let's say we'll talk roommates and then we'll talk uh, married folks as well. Let's say you're, you're having some kind of disagreement with, with a roommate with which you live. And one of the things that is going to help that conflictual situation get resolved is if that other person really actually feels like you hear them and you feel like they, or they feel like you hear their concerns and where they're coming from. Again, you don't have to agree. You may be about to disagree. But being quick to hear them and slow to speak and then slow to, you know, get angry, it, it really makes a difference in kind of bringing down the temperature of those conversations and can really help things along. And let me tell you, that is also very true in marriage because we've been at this, Lorianne and I, uh, more than 20 years now. And this was something I was really, really, really awful at in the beginning because I had all these great things to say, Right. And I had a communications degree, so I'd been taught how to say them and have these little phrases and zingers. Guess what? Your wife doesn't care. Your wife needs to be heard and helped, and you guys need to work out a solution together. And so this is intensely practical. And when this happens, this is when real change and gospel fruit 
gets born in, in those conflicts. And God is glorified because you're honoring one another in the midst of that difficulty. And also, it leads to being slow to anger. And one of the things that has helped me on this path, uh, clearly I have light years to go, but I know what it, what it, it isn't what it was, let's put it that way, is understanding, so the second thing, so it starts with humility. Uh, the second thing would be hearing what the Proverbs have to say about the power of words. Hearing what the Proverbs have to say about the power of words. Let me give you just a couple here. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And we don't think about that sometimes. We just go around talking, saying stuff, posting things, retweeting things. But we have the power of life and death in what we speak. And we need to hear that. Proverbs 13.3 says, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. And man, I can't tell you how many times that I've been reading some news story and it's like an athlete or a celebrity or whatever. And I was like, if that person would just stop talking, they would not get whatever is about to happen. But of course, that never happens, and they keep tweeting, and we all see how it works out. Proverbs ten nineteen says this, Where words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. So again, it's not that we don't say things. It's that there is a strategery, quote President W. from back in the day, about what we say. That there is strategic engagement to what we say. And that's what I think James is driving us toward here. Because if we can be quick to hear, to honor this person, and then slow to speak, and then when we come out with it, it's actually helpful. Proverbs talks about that too, that we want our speech to be apples of gold and settings of silver. And if we're slow to anger and known as a patient person, man, think about how that is going to adorn the gospel and also try to cultivate healing as opposed to animus in our interpersonal, in interpersonal relationships. Now, let me hit the pause button here. I'm just going to assume that every one of us, including me, is very convicted by what we're talking about because... We are so tempted to get this wrong. But this is an area where if we can learn to be humble and to hear what Proverbs has to say, we're going to naturally move, in, or supernaturally rather, move in the direction that James is talking about here. Now, let me give you another little practical thing here. So this would be number three. Learn to practice the pause. Okay? Now, I've mentioned this to you before, uh, and I want to use one example, and then I'm going to apply it specifically to this of what we're talking about here. Uh, but the person that, that taught me this more than anybody is my friend Ray Ortland, uh, because Ray, I, I remember, I've told this story here before, I, I've been in meetings with Ray, and sometimes they can get kind of tense if there's like a bunch of loud voices and sharp thinkers in the room, and I, I've seen somebody say, well, Ray, what do you think about that? And he will pause, and there were a few times that I was like, it was to the point that I was like, did he just, did, it, is, Ray, it's your turn, bro, you got to speak. Like, I thought he'd gone to sleep or something. But, but he was doing exactly what we're talking about. He, he was forming his thoughts to be strategic, and then when he spoke whatever he said, everybody else was like, yeah, that's true, and the rest of us are idiots. Because he paused to pray and think and gather his thoughts, 
and then come out with it. Now, Ray's got a few years on us, and he's awful close to Jesus, so we may not get where he is. But that principle that he practices is that's going to help us in any situation. It's going to help you in a disagreement with your roommates, particularly with your spouse. It's going to help you with your children. It's going to help you at work, and it's going to help you live into what we're talking about here. Because it is literally putting feet on quickness to hear, slowness to speak, and slowness to wrath and, or, or anger. And in the midst of that moment, if you will pause just for a second, it gives you an opportunity to pray. It gives you an opportunity to put off the dirty clothes and put on the clean clothes. It gives you an opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, speak through me. Please help me not put my whole foot in my mouth. And please help me to say something that's helpful and life-giving and not destructive and death-dealing. And you don't even have to say all that out of your mouth. We're talking about one second in your mind just crying out for Jesus' help. Those are the kind of prayers that I guarantee you that God is going to answer. Okay? So practice that pause. Now, let me give you one other thing. Uh, or actually, I got two more. The, the other one would be this. And this you may not be able to do in the moment. You might have to do some time later. I would say it like this. Think about your iceberg. Think about your iceberg. And what I mean by that is we need to think about that stuff that makes us angry. And here's what you're going to find. There are going to be some things that don't currently make you angry in the righteous anger category that need to make you angry. You need to be more upset about X, Y, Z. There'll be a few of those, but then there will be many other things that you find yourself getting mad about, and you're like, you know what? I don't even know that I should be mad about this. This may be one of those things where I need to let love cover a multitude of sins. I need to just look on this with grace as opposed to like really whatever. There will be some things in that category, but then as we start to get under the water and look at the iceberg stuff, I would ask this question. What is the, we need to, let me say it like this. We need to identify the why under the what. Identify the why under the what. And here's what I mean by that. There are going to be some things that, that, that we find ourselves getting angry about, but we realize that it is disproportionate to the situation. And here's what I mean. Let's say on a scale of one to ten, there are some things, they are frustrating, we do need to bring them up, but they're like a 1-2 on the 1-10 to 10 scale. But you're coming out at like 6, 7, 8, 9 about this thing that is a 1-2. And what I've found in my own life is that if I will step back and evaluate and ask that question, why is this making me so angry? Why am I so upset about this? This is what I begin to find that it's not really about the thing on the surface. It's really about something else. It, it's not really about X, Y, Z. It's about A, B, C. There's some kind of hurt that needs healing. There's some kind of uh, trauma that I've experienced that needs to be addressed. There's some kind of root of bitterness that needs to be uprooted and thrown into the proverbial fire. And that you're not so much doing within that three-second pause. This is some time that you're going to have to kind of take a step back and go, I need to work on my life 
and not just live in my life. And so, fellows, one of the ways that we might be able to help our wives here, particularly if, if you have little kids, uh, is, is give her, you know, some space. Be like, hey, I'll keep the rebel rousers here. You go get some coffee and spend some time with the Lord and write in a journal and let's think about this. Or wives, same thing, consequently. This is the stuff that we're going to have to reflect about. And the goal here is to move in the direction of what James is talking about. We want to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And if we find that we are not, we need to figure out why that is. So that we can pray specifically about those things. That we can repent specifically for the sinful elements of those things so that we can get the appropriate help and healing that we need for those things. Let me, let me say one other thing here that I think will encourage you. Somebody this past week, after what we talked about last week, and also just kind of in a larger context, approached me and said, hey, you know what, I need to get, uh, I want to get with a counselor to, to, to get some help with some of the things that I'm dealing with. And I thought that was awesome. I am so proud of that person because they are seeing themselves and their needs in this moment, and they are saying, I want to I grow in this particular area, and you know what? That takes courage, and that is awesome. And so we need to all know that we have resources within the church and beyond the church to be able to deal with some of these iceberg issues, okay? I want to say one other thing about this, and then we'll move on. But for, for those of us that tend to be disproportionately angry or we just seem kind of angry, it really may be that there's under-the-surface iceberg stuff that really does need healing. And let me tell you something. If you weren't aggravated before the COVID season, the last two years has given you plenty to be aggravated about it. And, and so we need to think through what is the Lord trying to say to heal me, to help me, to grow me in this particular area so that I can move forward and taking off these dirty clothes and putting on the new clothes, okay? So, on the home stretch here, let's address that just a little bit, because what I've said uh, at this point applies so much to that, this won't take very long. But I do want to go back and think about one thing that we talked about last week, and that is the concept that we find in Romans 13, 14, okay? To make no provision for the flesh, and one of the things that we find, uh, one of the things you might find in this little time that you take away that I'd referred to a few minutes ago, even if it's 30 minutes, you may find that some of what is fueling your anger is situation-specific. And here's what I mean with this. Um, particularly when my children were younger, um, I, I would be trying to do too much at one time. I'd be trying to watch something on TV, play with my phone, watch the kids, and try to do something else all at the same time. And so when little Nathan or little Simon or little Sophie would come up and, hey, Dad, I need this. What, what? Can't you see what I'm doing? You know, and it's suddenly Yosemite Sam right there in the kitchen. But that was situational. And that was my fault because I was trying to do too much. I was making provision for my flesh in that moment. I was giving the devil ammunition to shoot me and cooperate with my flesh to make a mess in my life, okay? Now, that's kind of a, 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 an example that might not apply to exactly where you are, but I want to share it with you for the sake of saying 
as you evaluate your own anger, tip of the iceberg, under the water, I guarantee you, you're going to find some areas that if you look closely, man, the reason why I keep getting upset, let's use another one, on the interstate is because I'm trying to text with CarPlay, I'm listening to a music, I got a podcast going on, and the kids are crying. Well, no wonder that guy cutting you off is going to make you up. You see what I'm saying? There's going to be areas where you can make some practical tweaks that put you in a better place to do some of these other things that we are talking about. But let's bring all this together. Because as you've noticed, I've tried to be ruthlessly practical in this talk. And I hope it helps. I really do. I think it will. But at the end of the day, this is what all of us need to remember. At the end of the day, we don't just need principles to change. We need a person to change. You don't just need anecdotes and tidbits and maxims to live by. You need the power of God and the Word of God to work on your heart and to help your hands. That's what we need. And so when we encounter a text like this, and particularly when we think about their context and all that they would have been dealing with, the goal of all of Scripture is to guide us toward Jesus. Because when James talks to his beloved brothers, the implicit between the lines of all of the Bible is to point us to the one that was always quick to hear, always slow to speak, and slow to anger. In all the ways that we get it wrong, Jesus always got it right. Every time he was angry, he should have been. When he cleaned out the temple, he should have. And so when we ask for help in this area, we are not asking someone who might just know a thing or two about being tempted to be unrighteous in his anger. We go to the one who is the author and finisher of our faith who is the creator and the sustainer, uh, sustainer of all of life and creation, and he is the expert in this area and in all areas. And when we go to Jesus and we are reminded that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, we have access to the actual righteousness of God through the Lord Jesus himself. He was the perfect embodiment of it the perfect embodiment of God's righteousness on display. And finally, when we think about the filthiness and the rampant wickedness that we need to put away, we need to remember that that was placed on Christ. And he died for it. He paid the full and appropriate payment for that sin. And now we can receive with meekness his word, that is literally able to save our souls. So in all of our talk of practical principles, may we never lose sight of the person and work of Christ. So here's what I want to do to wrap up today. I want us all to get still. Just bow your head here, if you could. Let's just get quiet. And I want us to take just a couple of minutes First of all, 
to thank the Lord for His greatness and glory. And then second of all, to ask for His specific help in these and all areas. Lord, we thank You that Christianity is not just a set of ideas to live by, but it is a relationship with you. Lord, you have given us a pattern to follow, some principles to deploy, but you have given a person for us to be in relationship with. And so, Lord, we just want to say Thank you for that, for your immense grace and mercy. You didn't have to do that, but you did do that. And we don't take that lightly. And Lord, we want to praise you for the victory of Jesus in all these ways. That he never stumbled, never failed. And he can help us when we stumble, stumble and fail. And Lord, we want to bring to you these particular sins that James put on our radar this morning. Being too quick to speak, being too quick to be angry, even about the wrong things. And Lord, we want to ask for your help in those areas. Lord, we also want to ask for your help in some of these underlying issues that are pushing those behaviors to the top. Lord, the, the, the very real hurts that need to be healed. The very real, sometimes decades old, deep-seated issues that need the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, none of them are too big for you. but they feel very big to us sometimes. But we bring them to you and ask for your help. We ask for what only you can do in those areas. And Lord, we pray that you would bring change in these areas in our lives, both on the surface and under the surface, that we would grow in our ability to put off the dirty clothes and put on the clean clothes every day. And Lord, we also thank you for the fact that we're not alone in this. That you've given us the church. You've given us outside counsel and counselors. You've given us lots of good resources online that can help. And we pray that we take full advantage of them for your glory and for our good and the good of the world. And we pray all this. In Jesus' mighty name.